please rise for the reading. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Ron Betcher. I'm one of the elders here at Thornhill, and it is my privilege and pleasure to introduce our guest speaker here this morning. Um, pastor Zig, to many of us, uh, doesn't need any introduction because he was the pastor here from 1981 um, till 1989. Um, Zig, why don't you come up? Zig. Zig and Edie have recently moved back to Calgary, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing more of them. And uh, Zig, this morning we welcome you, and may God bless you and us this morning through your word, through what God has to say. Thank you. Let's try that, okay, getting better. <clears throat> well, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to be here. I haven't had a chance to preach in a church since about last July, so I don't know if I can still do it. <clears throat> and this week I've also had laryngitis on top of everything else, so I need lots of prayer to get through this. But uh, yeah, this really feels very much like home. And uh, just a very, very uh, healthy and encouraging environment here. <clears throat> this is the only church I've ever been part of where where you sit in the sanctuary de will de determine how much of the sermon you will understand. I used to tell jokes, and this side with the youth would laugh, and this side would look over confused like, what was that? <laughs> So where you sit is very important at Thornhill. We left about 25 years ago and uh, <clears throat> finally have moved back to Calgary. And uh, in that time, I've learned a few things. And today I want to tell you about one of the most important lessons I've learned and share it with you. I haven't mastered this. I'm sort of at maybe at the intermediate level. But uh, this is something that I have to remind myself of continually. And it's one of the most powerful, life-changing concepts that I've come across as I've studied the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. It is so good to, to be here. 
and to worship you and to say how great is our God and uh, <clears throat> to hear about Eve and his ministry in the Cameroon, bringing truth to these people who you love so much. And uh, thank you for the youth who are just uh, such an important part of the church. It's so great to see them and have them participate like this. Thank you for Pastor Ken and the way that you've sustained him and brought him through <clears throat> all the medical crises that he has faced. He is truly an overcomer, and we just rejoice in uh, what we see in his life. And Lord, thank you for your word. We just look forward to having you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me tell you what I've learned so far. I used to think that Christianity was essentially a series of dramatic events that changed your life. There's conversion, uh, recommitment, re-recommitment. There's that first church potluck that definitely upgraded the quality of fellowship in the congregation. There was a time they installed the uh, coffee machine in the lobby. I mean, these are events that are just transformative. There are some dramatic events in the Christian life, times when we come under conviction and we raise our hands and we come to the front, and those are really, really important if you mean it. But how many of our dramatic decisions are eventually sabotaged by excuses or laziness and then followed by that lingering sense of guilt and when you feel guilty, you get uncomfortable with God and you uh, become evasive and you avoid eye contact. And that's not a very healthy pattern. Well, I eventually realized that the Christian life is not all that dramatic. Certainly my life would not make a good reality show, keeping up with the Kozlowskis. It wouldn't work. Most of the Christian life is not that dramatic. It's interesting and it's important, but it's not that dramatic. Now, I get thrilled by amazing victories and sudden death over time, and when that happens, it makes for great testimonies, and we read best-selling books that talk about that. But what do you do while you're waiting for your next victory? Here's what I do. I have concluded that the Christian life is, as Eugene Peterson says, essentially a long obedience in the same direction. The Christian life is mostly about understanding that you're on a journey, and one of the best ways to invest your time is by developing healthy habits. Now, this doesn't sound very exciting, it's mostly about endurance. But this is one area where you have unlimited opportunity. The good part is you can do this anywhere, at any time. You can do this every day this week, every month, year after year, till the end of the age. There is no expiry date. And I can honestly tell you that since I've been doing this, I've enjoyed the Christian life a lot more than when I was impatiently waiting for the next healing or the next divine intervention, the next adrenaline surge. This is what Paul talks about 
in Philippians. In chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, he discusses a very, very important aspect of our life. Should I go to the other mic? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Now, in the verses leading up to this passage, he gives us a glimpse of glory, a preview of the future. And in this trailer, Christ is exalted to the highest place, and he is given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus is the last man standing. Now that's dramatic. That's got to be over 900 points on the emotional Richter scale. And we can hardly wait for that time. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, Paul is glad you asked because he's going to tell you right after he gives us that tremendous glimpse of glory, he writes this in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, because of this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That is the Christian workout. It's better than Pilates or yoga or Zumba or whatever else you're going to come up with. The Christian workout is working out what God has already worked in. Through the Holy Spirit, God has filled us with capacities for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. And we have unlimited opportunities to find ways how to work these out in everyday situations. For example, is there somebody driving you crazy? Well, what a great opportunity to practice patience. And we don't just stockpile these virtues that God gives us. We work them out. I think mean, there's way too many Christian hoarders around. Believers who fill their lives with good intentions that keep accumulating. I think a life filled with good intentions is kind of like a house overrun by stray cats. If you don't put these into circulation, they multiply and the heart becomes very unhygienic. Do you have any dead cats hidden away in your conscience? Don't stockpile grace. Get it into circulation. Work out what God has worked in. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Just do it. The Christian life is mostly about developing healthy habits. The kind that please God, that benefit your family, 
that bless your church, that minister to people outside the church. And let me give you one example. Or better yet, <clears throat> let's let Paul do it. Fast forward two chapters to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is one of the most frustrating verses I've ever come across. If Paul would have just said, rejoice in the Lord, that would be no problem. Because I can do that, and you can do that. Rejoice in the Lord, of course. We all have good days. Last week, I experienced the abundant life on Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday evening and Saturday. That's about average. We know how to rejoice in the Lord. But here's the problem. That's not what Paul says. Brace yourself. You're not going to like this. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. What? Are you kidding that's impossible. Can you do that? I can't do that. Now, of course, God has already given us this joy. And it's inside of us. But we don't always have opportunities to work it out because we always get interrupted by unexpected setbacks. We could be more joyful, but there's always something. A flat tire, a computer virus, a sleepless night, there's always something. Financial worries, health issues, family conflict, there's always something. There's problems at work and problems at school and problems at home, there's always something. And now your neighbor has decided to learn how to play bagpipes. And your other neighbor, well, he's gotten government attention because they've designated his yard as Dandelion National Park. There's always something. How can you rejoice in the Lord always? Three, weeks a, a, three days a week is about all I can manage. Well, if our joy is a mercenary motive, if it's financed by good circumstances, then of course it can be easily undermined by a series of unfortunate events. That's why we can't rejoice in the Lord always. It's virtually impossible. Now, does Paul understand our problem? Well, no, he doesn't, because here's his reply. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. Paul is not budging on this directive. Objection overruled. There's no wiggle room. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, well, Paul, that's easy for you to say. You should be living in 2015. I mean, the stress, the pressure, the tuition fees, the mortgages. You're probably in the Mediterranean, sitting on a beach, watching a beautiful sunset. It's easy for you to say, Paul. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote these words? After a lifetime of opposition and persecution, things had suddenly taken a turn for the worse. Paul was now 
in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of his entire life. He was in a Roman dungeon facing possible execution. And this was not five-star accommodation. It was a spider hole with no ventilation. There was no indoor plumbing. The light was bad. The food was awful. The guards were cruel. The conditions were disgusting. Yet somehow, in the worst circumstances of his life, Paul was able to work out what God had worked in, and he could rejoice in the Lord because he had learned how to make this a habit. This wasn't just a momentary spasm of joy. This had become a habit. Rejoice in the Lord always. A habit is something you do always. So I highly recommend this. But how do we develop this habit of joy so that we can apply it to virtually every situation in our life? Well, let's find out. In verse 5, Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When we're in danger or distress, gentleness is usually the first casualty. It's not a high priority. We're thinking about revenge. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're not really interested in being gentle towards others, especially those who are making our lives miserable. But Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit was able to treat even his captors with gentleness. And some, because of that, were getting saved. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. There's a connection between those two because when we are focused on ourselves, when we are getting bitter, when we feel sorry for ourselves, we lose the awareness of God's wants us to. Then we sense the nearness of the Lord. And of course, when the Lord is near, then, then, we can, then we can start to vent because this is the perfect time to tell God all about our problems. So verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now notice those two words, anything and everything. That's the title of my sermon, which is very ambiguous, but it means it could go on for a long time when you use words like that. Anything and everything. Do not be anxious about anything. That's what it says. If this was an insurance policy, it would probably cover up to 90% of our problems. But the Bible does not have any fine print. When the Bible says anything, it means anything. This prohibition is invalid if when temperatures drop below minus 30 or where prohibited by law cannot be used in conjunction with any other offer expires before the great tribulation. There's no fine print. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, maybe in your case, it's a little different because you are an exceptional Christian. Are you? I'm an exceptional Christian because I always can find an exception. 
I can always find an exception. Do not be anxious about anything except what's happening in my current situation. That's the exception. The only exception. Are you exceptional? What does the Bible say? Do not be anxious about anything. But Paul does not leave us hanging. He says, this is what you do instead. But in everything, here is the healthy alternative. There's no exceptions. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is the key. Now, God obviously gets a lot of prayers and petitions and requests. Oh, God, help me. This is another fine mess you've gotten me into. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Something very odd about this verse. It's kind of like Sesame Street. You know the game where one of these things is not like the others? You know, you may have a grand piano, tenor saxophone, acoustic guitar, and bagpipes. And immediately you can tell three of them are legitimate musical instruments and one not so much. Well, that's what's happening in this verse. Look it. You got prayer, you got petition, you got requests. Yeah, that's what we do when we have problems. But here's the anomaly. He says, with thanksgiving. What? Isn't that premature? We usually leave, leave thanksgiving for afterwards, after our prayer is answered. What Paul does, he, is he puts it right into the, the first prayer we pray. Gratitude comes in right up front. Every time Paul prayed about anything and everything, it included thanksgiving. It was a habit, a very, very healthy habit. You know, our prayers can be very depressing and very discouraging and very demoralizing until we put in some thanksgiving. This, to me, is really the key because gratitude is the most powerful game-changer in the Christian life. I've seen this in so many situations. For example, in marital counseling, there's two people who bitterly dislike each other. They have nothing good to say, and the longer they talk, the more their criticism escalates. And in an argument, you actually derive energy from an attack that you receive. You uh, are able to counterattack with greater intensity. And this process repeats until you go much further than you intended to go. And you say things you never intended to say. Oh yeah, well we've been through so much together. And most of it was your fault. Now... I usually try to interrupt them before it goes too far and, and kind of try to talk them down. And I'll say, tell me about the last time that you enjoyed being together. Tell me about some of the times you were grateful for. And it's amazing how that changes the situation room. The artillery barrage has ended and it's like a ceasefire. Because when you insert gratitude into an awful mess, the lights start coming on. 
and some windows open and fresh air begins to rush in. And that awful stench of resentment is replaced by the fragrance of spring. Gratitude is a very powerful force of nature, divine nature. And it is filled with active ingredients that affect any situation that gratitude comes into contact with. And usually what happens is this, verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A number of us suffer from anxiety attacks. I have them. You just start to panic. And what you need when you have an anxiety attack, you need to have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. And gratitude is the key to unleashing that peace and making it a reality. Gratitude transforms anxiety attacks and panic into, pe into peace in the worst circumstances of life. Here Paul was able to experience the peace of God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What his guards could not figure out is why they were more stressed and upset about life than he was. Why was he at peace and they were struggling with life? It should have been the other way around. The peace of God. Now the question is, how long does this peace last? That's a key thing. How long does the effect last? Because the key is not simply interrupting a crisis with thanksgiving, because that's only temporary. What's more important is developing a long-term habit. How do you do that? Well, Paul tells us, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, that means we have to turn off our TVs and maybe even our computers if we're going to focus on that kind of stuff. Now, these things are not very dramatic, but they're very, very effective. And what I do to apply this verse is I keep a journal where I document God's sightings. God is doing things in our life every single day. Most of these things I don't notice because I'm too preoccupied or too busy or I'm thinking about myself. Once in a while, I do notice something God did. And so I write it down. I document it. I'll write down glimpses of glory. And the more I do this, the more I become aware of what God is doing on a daily basis. You begin to notice things that you didn't notice before. These are maybe very undramatic, but they're very meaningful moments. You know, you could even text them and send them to yourself and review them periodically. The reason to do this is because we simply forget. We don't remember. That's why the hymn says, uh, what does it say again? Count your sorrows. What was it? Blessings, yes, blessings. Count your blessings, name them <clears throat> one by one, and it will surpass. 
surprise you. Why does it surprise you? Because you forgot. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I remember. That was tremendous. How could I forget that? That's why you count your blessings, no matter how small. <clears throat> because it's going to surprise you. And then when you document them, you always talk to him about them. God, you did this today. I really appreciated that. That was wonderful. I really was amazed. Thank you so much. Don't let me forget what you did in my life today. Gratitude is like an upgrade which enables you to see God in HD. He becomes much more vivid. And please, do try this at home. Increase your dosage of gratitude and encouragement towards your family and see the effect that has. And of course, the bonus for us is that gratitude produces a very healthy side effect called joy. In Paul's case, gratitude had reached the point where he was able to rejoice in the Lord always. That's a goal that I have. I'd like to work towards it. I'm not there yet. Like I said, I'm at maybe the intermediate level. I certainly haven't mastered this. But Paul, even in the worst circumstances of his life, was able <clears throat> to work out the joy that God had given him. <coughs> now this doesn't mean... <coughs> This doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. There is certainly a lot of legitimate grief and sorrow. But these do not preempt the joy that comes from knowing that the Lord is near. Habakkuk said this in the midst of great loss in chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. So even when everything goes wrong and everything has been lost, could we still rejoice in the Lord our Savior? Wouldn't it be great if those were the last words that you said before you passed from this life. So, in difficult circumstances, in times of danger, while you're waiting for that dramatic breakthrough, for that miracle, for that prayer to be answered, put your time to good use and start developing healthy habits. <coughs> Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Paul was able to share this amazing discovery with us that in the worst circumstances of his life, he found a way to work out the joy that the Holy Spirit had worked into his life. 
And it was because he developed this habit of being grateful. In every circumstance, in every prayer, with thanksgiving. We'd like to be people who live like that as well, Lord. And we need to be more mindful of your blessings, counting them, naming them one by one. And what a surprise it will be to just see all the things that you're doing in our life. Thank you for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.